Psalm 122 is where we find ourselves this morning, our odyssey through the Psalms. Psalm 122. I still hear shuffling pages, so I'll wait. Hear the word of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you, peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Thus far, God's word. There's something about music and traveling that go together. I don't know what it is, but at least that's been my experience. I remember uh, on one occasion in particular going from South Bend, Indiana to suburban Chicago in a mid-70s, a Delta 98, which some of you know is like a living room on wheels, a red paint, white interior, convertible top, had it down one of the first days of spring, uh, blowing over the Chicago Skyway, hair whipping in the wind, and the radio turned all the way up. There was something about the, the motion and the music that was absolutely exhilarating. But in time, travelers abandoned the radio for mixtapes. Those of you from the 80s remember the mixtapes. A couple of 90-minute cassettes on which you had recorded all of your favorite songs and you played them on your in-dash unit, which you made sure automatically flipped the tapes over for you. And uh, there you got three hours of gloriously uninterrupted music and travel. Of course, today, uh, you can load a seemingly limitless number of songs from your Spotify account onto a personal device connected to the media player in your car and never repeat a tune from Boston to Balboa, if you will. So music and traveling, they just seem to go together. And there's a section in the Psalms that is filled with traveling music. It's called the Psalms of Ascent. And it begins in chapter 120, and it goes through chapter 134. Most scholars believe that God's people sang these songs as they traveled up to Jerusalem for any one of their seasonal feasts. So in the springtime, they traveled up for Passover, where they remembered how God had liberated them from Egypt, as well as the Feast of Firstfruits, where they remembered how God had sustained them 
in the subsequent 40-year wandering in the desert. Then they'd come back in the autumn, uh, traveling up to Jerusalem again, this time for the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, where they remembered how God had protected them during that 40-year sojourn. And as they ascended from the south or the west or the east, which were the directions from which you ascend to Jerusalem, they sang. Uh, In Psalm 120, they sang about the trials of of living away from Jerusalem. In 121, they sang about the hazards of traveling up to Jerusalem. And then here in Psalm 122, our chapter for this morning, they are singing about the joy of arriving in Jerusalem. Now, all this is interesting, and I can only imagine that some of you are already saying, uh, yeah, but what does this have to do with me? I mean, I get the music and the traveling bit, but uh, ancient songbook, ancient city, ancient feasts, what does that have to do with my life in La Mirada or La Habra or Brea or Buena Park or Fullerton or Whittier or Norwalk? Well, consider this. The Psalter contains what are known as royal psalms. And the the royal psalms celebrate the glory of Jerusalem, the city, the setting, the religious center that it was, and especially the site of the temple and the throne of the king. But the Psalter also contains what are called the Songs of Zion, which celebrate not only the present but the future glories of Jerusalem. So, Psalm 122 is a song of Zion, which means when it refers to God's house in verse 1 and verse 9, it's pointing not only to the earthly temple about which they sang as they were climbing the hill, but also the heavenly one as well. When they refer to Jerusalem there in verses 2 through 8, They're pointing not only to the earthly city, that is their immediate travel destination, but also to the heavenly Jerusalem, their ultimate travel destination. When it refers to the house of David there in verse number five, it's pointing not only to the throne of the mortal shepherd king, but to the throne of the immortal great shepherd king. Now, you may say, Well, that helps. I mean, I get that there's a connection between uh, what was written so long ago and what's out there in the future, but I I live somewhere in between the two. I, I still am asking, what does this psalm have to do with me? Well, let's just step aside for a moment, do a quick clinic, and I think that will help us answer that question. It's helpful to know that in the Scripture, God consistently expresses his kingdom in this way. As God's people in God's place gathered around or gathered under his rule. God's people in God's place gathered under his rule. I'm going to say that a third time. God's people in God's place gathered under his rule. And it's that way, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, but it's expressed differently throughout the Bible. 
So we go back to our series in Genesis and the early winter when we were in the early chapters there. God's people are Adam and Eve who are living in God's place, which is the Garden of Eden, gathered under God's rule, which was his verbal word of instruction to them. The, the time period in which our psalm was written, God's people are the children of Israel who were meant to be living in God's place, the promised land where God's temple was, his, his presence was, under God's rule, which was the Old Testament as expressed by the prophets. Today, the day in which we live, God's people are all all of those, all of us who are in Christ. The second Adam, the perfect Israel. God's place is among his people right here. This is his temple because this is where he now dwells. Uh, Paul said as much to the church at Corinth. You are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. So we have God's people living in God's place under God's rule. Not God's verbal word to Adam and Eve, not God's Old Testament covenant as expressed by the prophets, but God's New Testament covenant, which was ratified by Christ when he died and thereby fulfilled all that came before the verbal word, the prophetic word, the whole enchilada. So, back to your question. What does this psalm have to do with you? It has everything to do with you because it informs us how to do church. What our expectation should be when we gather together anytime we gather together. And it will hopefully compel you to ask this question. And here's the main point to this morning. Does being with God's people in God's place under his authority make you glad? Does it bring you gladness? Do I like going to church? Do I like going to grace group? Do I like gathering for Band of Brothers, do I enjoy women's Bible study? Do I feel good about coming to a Lord's Supper service? There are many reasons why people, even some of you, don't like coming together. I had a fellow come up to me after the first service and say, I'm one of those guys. I mean, embracing the gospel is one thing, but embracing the church, that's another thing because it reminds you of a bad church experience or it reinforces some negative stereotypes of the church, whether real or not, that circulate throughout our culture. Or it it raises your natural level of shyness, um, anxiety, um, insecurity, (laughs) tension. For some of you, the greeting time is the worst part of this hour because it challenges your introversions, right? You gotta crawl outside of yourself and say hello to the person next to you. Well, God's word has the power to confront that 
and to change those feelings, maybe not all at once, but certainly over the course of time. So here's the way forward for this morning. It's gonna come in the form of two questions. Question number one, how should I feel about gathering with God's people? And the quick answer is you should feel glad. That sense of gladness is gonna grow in proportion to your understanding to the answer. The second question, which is, what is our aim in coming together as God's people? And the short answer there is growth. So let's consider these two questions, beginning with number one, how should I feel about getting together with God's people Sunday morning, Sunday night, any other time during the week? And the answer is glad. That's that's the standard set there in verse one. Take a look at it with me. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord or let us gather together with God's people. Now, were there challenges for the ancient pilgrim in getting to Jerusalem? Absolutely, and that's what Psalm 121 is about. But the challenges were worth the effort. As we see there in verse two, where where the ascent has been made, the traveler has arrived, and in verses three and following, he begins to reflect on his glorious surroundings. So how do the ancient pilgrim deal with the trials of travel so that when it was said to him, hey, let's go, he was glad to hear it. It would be helpful to know since gladness and Sunday morning are not always synonymous, especially if you have a young family. I understand that. Or if you're a collegian. All the years I worked with college students, I I used to say, isn't it interesting that God worked it out so Sunday morning follows Saturday night? I don't know why that's the way it is, but that's how it works out in our culture. Deuteronomy 16 is the historical backdrop for this passage, and it helps us answer this question by pointing out a couple of things. Now, you can look at that chapter and all of its particularities, but here are the two things that really stand out. First, gathering with God's people was a priority for the ancient pilgrim. It was on his calendar. He planned on being there. And second, gathering with God's people was something for which the ancient pilgrim prepared. He couldn't save his departure details until the last minute. He had to get ready ahead of time. I find just those two points terribly instructive about coming together like this. Where does gathering with God's people fall in your set of priorities? Is it a given? Or is it contingent upon the weather, the tide clock, the NFL schedule, your kid's athletic schedule, out-of-town guests, summer vacation, you name it. God's word indicates it should be the most important thing that we do. And if it is, then you need to ask yourself, do I sufficiently prepare for it? Do you plan activities for Saturday night? And if so, are you home early enough to get a good night's rest? Do you leave yourself enough time on Sunday morning that you're not rushed 
only to arrive here on campus out of breath. Well, for, for me, and this is just for me, it's just a little window into Randall John Gruendike here. For me, what that means is on Saturday night, I lay out my clothes and I set up my breakfast so that on Sunday morning, they're all ready for me. And on Sunday morning, I get up early enough so I can spend some time in the Word and prayer and even drive through Starbucks to get a cup before I land here on site. If you're a young family, I know this can be a great struggle. And Nancy and I are happy to talk to you about our our own approach to this because there's every reason why. Like the ancient traveler, you should be able to anticipate gathering with God's people with gladness on your tongue as well as gladness in your heart. It can be done. But then again, that sense of gladness is going to grow in proportion to your understanding of why we come together as God's people. And that's the second question at which we're looking. What is our aim in coming together as God's people? And as uh, Walt, uh, uh, Walter the Elder of the Psalter, pointed out during the announcements, there are at least three, yea, even four this morning reasons to come together as a church a number of others throughout the Bible. Psalm 122 boils them down, according to my reading, to one thing, expressed in six different ways, and that is growth. We come together to grow. And our first aim in coming together is to grow as a body. Notice there in verse three, the traveler saying about Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Now, they weren't singing about tightly constructed bricks and mortar. No, they were singing about a tightly bound body of worshipers. That that phrase, bound firmly together, is the same one used for making the tent of worship back in Exodus 26.11, a place made of many pieces into a single fabric, a single place, e pluribus unum, if you will. As the place of worship was bound as one, so the people at worship were bound as one. Miles Coverdale did an early English translation of the Bible. He put that phrase in this way, a city that is at unity within itself. Citizens that live in harmony. This one body bound firmly kind of idea is the very thing to which God exhorts the Philippians all the way throughout that letter of Paul's to that church. A unity that is firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind there in chapter one, having the same love, looking out for the interests of others there in chapter two, agreeing in the Lord and doing all things through One thing, Christ, who strengthens me, there in chapter 4. So your aim in being here today is to grow. As a person, to be sure, but even more so as a body. Leaning in, reaching out, holding up. And if we fail to understand that, we will, as one scholar puts it, Well, here's how he puts it. 
There are some churches that refuse to listen to their head, which is Jesus Christ, and therefore are in danger of decapitation. But there are Christians who live disconnected from Christ's body and therefore live in danger of decorpulation. (laughs) So growing not only as me, but as we, increases the glad prospects of being together as God's people. But the importance of growing together as a body is heightened when you understand that it's a body unlike any other one to which you belong. It's different than your graduating class. It's different than an athletic team of which you've been a part. It's different than any civic organization to which you belong because this body is a family. And so our our second aim is that we come together to grow like a family. Take a look there at verse number four. The travelers uh, sing about Jerusalem to which the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord. The tribes, of course, refer to the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, later renamed Israel, making those three family feasts, well, those three feasts, family reunions, right? And as often as we come together, it's just the same thing. Remember, we're all related to one another in Christ. This church is ordered like a family. We refer to one another in family terms, such as brother and sister. But unlike our human families, God's family is the most significant one of which you'll ever belong because while our biological family is temporal, our spiritual family is eternal. When my wife and I someday cross the river, we will no longer be husband and wife. But she will always be on that day and forever my sister in Christ. So how we treat each other is important because how we treat each other has eternal consequences. So when we gather as God's people, our aim is to grow, to grow as a body, to grow as a family, But those are secondary to the third aim, which is to grow in thanks. Take a look again at verse number four. When Israel came together, they did so as the tribes of the Lord to give thanks to the Lord. And what was it for which they were giving thanks? Well, that he'd saved them from Egypt, that was Passover, that he'd sustained them in the wilderness, that was uh, first fruits, and that he had protected them Uh, from their enemies, that was Feast of Tabernacles. And as often as we come together, we do so to give thanks for what Christ has done for us. He saved us from the captivity of sin. He is sustaining us in the wilderness of this world and he's gonna protect us from the adversary who would love to keep us from getting to the promised land. And just as God used the difficult things to save and to sustain and protect Israel, so he is doing the same thing for us. And that is always worthy of our thanks. I used to work at a church where every Sunday morning, no matter what had happened the previous week, uh, most notably 9-11, we always sang the doxology. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because God is always, no matter what, worthy of our thanks. I remember a a chapel band leader leading the Taylor University student body in these words, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Upon arriving back on campus, having attended the funeral of his father, I remember him just strumming away at that guitar, the tears coming down his face, and a heart that was filled with thanks and gratitude to God. I can't help but think about this and remember my dad and, and the big events of life uh, with which he always met with one question. If you thank God for it, the great things and the tough things, even the stinging diagnoses, even the crushing disappointments, even the writhing disasters. Have you thanked God for it? And I remember as he suffered with cancer, he would say from time to time, I have thanked God for this. No matter how great our pain, God's goodness is greater and worthy of thanks, even public thanks. So as we come together on a Sunday morning or any time, our aim is to give thanks. It is also, and here's the fourth aim in coming together, it's also to grow in discipline. Take a look at verse number five. Uh, Singing pilgrims traveling up to Jerusalem knew that upon arriving there, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. But as Derek Kidner points out, the aim of their discipline is realized in the next verse, in verse number six. It was not pain and retribution, but love leading to the gladness of peace and security. And that, encouraged by prayer, which is the fifth aim of our coming together as God's people. It's interesting to notice that the prayer for the peace of Jerusalem was not in regard to enemies from without, but from within. Take a look beginning in verse six. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. Jerusalem means the city of peace. Justice and peace were the, were the, 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 the twin uh, uh, things that distinguish Davidic rule there in Jerusalem, Isaiah 9-7. But notice what makes peace so important to Jerusalem is God's presence. See that in verses one and nine. Without it then, Jerusalem's just another city. Without it now, the church is just another club. That's why praying for the peace and security of grace should be a persistent aim of our gathering. The epistles, and especially the pastoral epistles, are most interested in this. They're not so much worried about 
the threats from without, they're worried about the threats from within. We always need to be cautious of a fifth column rising in our midst, infiltrators that would come to undermine or destabilize us, either in terms of our relationships or our doctrine. The term fifth column comes from the the Spanish Civil War. Uh, The leader of the invading nationalist army, uh, which was an army of four columns, said that when he reached Madrid, there was a fifth column already mobilized and there within the city waiting for him. In Jesus' day, there was a fifth column already extant in Jerusalem, and it was comprised of Israel's own religious leaders. That's why when Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem for his last peace, he drew near to the city and saw it, and he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, Luke 19, 41 and 42. So as often as we come together, we should be praying. We should be fervently praying for the peace and security of our body, watching out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, Romans 16, 17, and even examining ourselves to see if there's a bad attitude or an unkind word or a grumbling spirit that is prohibiting our family from gathering together with requisite gladness. Finally, notice the sixth theme in coming together as God's people is to grow in service. Grow in service. Verse nine, for the sake of the house of the Lord, and again, then it was the temple, today it's us, the church. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That means I'm watching out for you. (laughs) The elders are watching out for you. Grace group shepherds are watching out for you. You should be watching out for one another. And that should make you glad. You know what makes me glad? To know that you're looking out for me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 talks about all sorts of ways in which the church looks out for one another by loving continuously and showing hospitality and remembering those in need and holding marriage in honor and obeying our leaders and praising God. You know what else makes me glad? Together, we're watching out for others. Psalm 102 and Psalm 147 inform us that Jerusalem was built up to be a place for gathering outcasts, healing broken hearts, regarding and not despising the destitute. That should make you glad. That should make this community glad. This growth as a body, as a family, in thanks, in discipline, in prayer, and in service is not an end in and of itself. It's not the end game. Rather, it is a means. It's a channel by which we point the world from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from a future that's filled with nothing to a future that's filled with glory upon glory upon glory, to a time when there will be no temple, for the temple neither a building nor a people, but the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. 
A time when the dwelling place of God is with man and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 and 22. That's what it means. That's what it means to be growing as God's people in God's place under the authority of his rule. And that should make us glad and growing in gladness so that we can truly say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's pray. So Lord, we do pray that you would make us glad and that you would make us glad as we are obedient to your word and work at being more firmly bound together as a body, a family, as we are thankful, as we engage in discipline and prayer and service. All that this world would see you more clearly, find hope in you, be saved from their sin, and join us now and for life eternal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.